I find it really interesting that the women who are either of age of considering having children grew up in the 90s or women who are now entering their menopausal years or their supposed menopausal years because I know there's a big range. The diet trends of the 90s centered on low to no fat. So I have this thought process that if we studied like these groups of women, I would make this correlation that is there a possibility that because it was very normal to go low fat cheese, low fat dairy, low fat this, blah, 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 that I feel like those women got so conditioned to not have enough fat content in their diets that now we're seeing the long-term side effect, which for my population of clientele, I see it more specifically with women in their 40s and 50s, and they're going into pre- they're going to perimenopause, and their mothers didn't. Let's link up with Krista on the fix. She's a wellness coach with a focus on mental well-being and physical strength. Hey, Fix listeners, welcome back to our latest episode of the Fix podcast. I'm your host, Krista Huber, and I am bringing a beautiful guest to all of you today. That is Dr. Hanisha Patel. Hanisha and I go deep in this conversation on fertility, on motherhood, on being a woman, on the questions and unfortunate lack of information that women tend to receive from a medical perspective, when it comes to pregnancy, when it comes to understanding fertility journeys and just what their options are and really trying to cultivate an environment that will help you have a quote unquote, let's call it easier pregnancy, or maybe a better experience when it comes to trying to get pregnant. We were chatting even before we hit record for this episode, just about women's experiences and kind of the rise that fertility or infertility rates, I should say, are on and what we can do, what kind of responsibility that both men and women should take in understanding why that is. We looked a lot at endocrine disruptors and we also talked a ton about trauma. Hanisha opens up about her experience and her cultural upbringing being from India and being raised by an Indian family and then actually spending time, she, towards the end of the episode, and I actually said to her, I should have asked you this at the way beginning, but she decided not to go to medical school right away so that she could actually go experience Indian culture for herself and go there and learn a little bit more about this contrast between Eastern and Western medicine practices and think about how she might infuse that into the work that she now does with her patients today. So I'm also really excited to share that Hanisha is launching an app and it is officially live So we waited to release this episode until her app was live, until more of her coursework was available for anybody who might be interested. So I would urge you to all go ahead, check out the show notes, check out all the links that we dropped in there so you can see all the cool things that Hanisha is providing, not only to potential patients, but also to anybody who's just interested in checking out her Instagram. She's got a bunch of free resources that address things that have nothing to do with fertility and are more just focused on like the common cold, stomach bugs, all that sort of stuff. So there's value in this episode, whether you are not at this stage of life, whether you don't think this is relevant to you, I promise that you can still get something out of it. We talked a lot about hormones too, even hormones with the guys and understanding things like testosterone and how it functions in the body. So just clear that she is a wealth of knowledge, that she does some really important work, some very tremendous work. And I'm just so honored to be able to provide this platform to educate myself. And then of course, to educate all of you fix listeners. So with that, let's welcome Dr. Hanisha Patel to the fix podcast. Hanisha, welcome to the Fix Podcast. I am so excited about this conversation. It is rare that I actually meet a potential guest in person first and then get the chance to get them on the podcast as quickly as we made this happen. So I appreciate you for that because I know we have a lot of really, really important stuff to dive into today around motherhood, around pregnancy, around caring for yourself. So this is an episode for all of our moms out there that they are definitely going to want to turn the volume up. And I'm just really happy to have you here today. So we're going to get right into it. And before we get into all the nitty gritty of that, 
I like to ask all my fixed guests the same question to kick off the show as a little icebreaker. You may not know this about me because we are new friends, but I am a very big coffee drinker, maybe to my own, you know, detriment with the caffeine and all that stuff, but I'm admitting it. And I love to ask all my guests what they like to sip on in the morning. What are you drinking to wake up? Yeah, great. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. I mean, I loved meeting you and I'm so excited we're doing this now. So yeah, thank you. And I am not a coffee drinker. Actually. I kind of figured you were going to tell me that. So tell me what you do instead. <laughs> yeah. So I actually, I have my matcha here. Nice. Uh, oh, what a pretty cup too. So, um, so yeah, this is my matcha cup. It's almost out, so you can't see it, but, um, but yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge matcha drinker. I will have, well, I usually have my lemon water first thing in the morning and then I okay. have breakfast and then I'll have my matcha. And, um, I don't always have matcha every day, but that's usually like, it's, it's just something that makes me feel so good. Um, and I, cool. and this is also something that I often recommend for a lot of my patients too, especially awesome. if they like feel like they're addicted to coffee. Um, uh, especially like, when you're pregnant, like that's a super hard thing. So many people tell me, they like joke with me. They're like, you're going to have trouble with <laughs> reducing that. And I just love it for the taste. Like I really, yeah. really do. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And so I'm not like, I'm not like anti-coffee in any way. I'm like, yeah, we definitely don't want, don't want too much. Too much um, sure. And, um, and if you feel like you can't like live without it, um, you can't get through the day without it, then maybe, maybe we need to address some things, but, um, I love matcha because it also has uh, something called L-theanine in it. So it has caffeine, but also L-theanine. And so it has like a calming energy. So I always feel like I can, I, you know, I can get through the day and I'm like ready to go, but also like not super jittery that, and that's what would happen with coffee for me all the time. I would get super anxious and I would get migraines and I felt terrible. So, um, I had to, I had to shift. Oh, I got muted. Sorry. Um, I was going to say matcha. It is. I like it. So that's good. Very cool. I've never gotten into it myself, but every time somebody talks to me about it, I totally respect the benefits. I just have honestly never tried it. I've always kind of assumed I wouldn't like the taste, but that is me being like super close minded. If I'm well, being really honest, I, you know, the, the, okay. I'm a, I'm a huge matcha snob, so I can go on about it probably yeah. for a whole episode. Um, and I love it so much, but like a lot of matcha out there is not true matcha. And mm. so it, it ends up being really bitter. And so like when people talk about like, it tastes like grass. Yeah. Yeah, you that's know, why I've always assumed I wouldn't like it. Yeah, because and it's because it's not good quality matcha. And so oh. that's why like places like Starbucks, you like they'll add so much sugar to it to like help with make it taste good. You know, make it taste good. Um and so but if it's good quality matcha, it actually is a little bit sweeter. And so no. so that's something to look into, but I also like I mean it's still a little bitter. Like it's not yeah. like it's not and like so is coffee. So like, yeah, that's I, what I was like coffee. Tr- like, you know, if you drink black coffee, like, and especially if you just first started drinking coffee, nobody mm-hmm. likes coffee in the beginning, like black no. coffee, you know, you start with no. like a Frappuccino and then you move towards yeah. something else. No, so yeah. true. All right. Well, good to know. Well, when I want to get into my matcha making days, apparently you are my girl to go to. So I'm going to yes. keep that in yeah. my back pocket. Love yeah. it. Anyone has questions about matcha? Cool. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we, you know, we know that you have more to the table than matcha too. So we're going to get into that. Um, just as a way of giving everybody some background, of course, go ahead, give us like the short version of your resume, what you do, who you help, what your medical practice is like, because it is very unique. And I'm excited for the fixed listeners to really get to understand that. But as a way of introducing yourself to this audience, I like to really dive in on the hard hitting questions with my guests. And there's tons of podcasts out there, right? There's thousands of people that you can listen to. There's so many people you can follow on Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, you name it. But I really pride myself on being grateful and lucky enough to have some amazing guests on this show. And I always get the best responses to this question. So no pressure, but tell us who you are, who's Dr. Hanisha, but more specifically, why should we care about what you have to share with the listeners today? Oh, that is an amazing question. Amazing question. So my, my name is Dr. Hanisha uh, Patel. Of course I am, you know, <laughs> I would say I'm like a lover and a tree hugger first okay. <laughs> and then I am an naturopathic doctor. Um, but all of that. So I feel like everything that I do really connects. And so 
I feel like I have truly found my purpose and that is to help people heal. And a part of that, like one of the things I always say is like my superpower is that I can heal generations because I help optimize couples health and fertility before they even get pregnant. Mm. And so when I do that, there's so much research on um, something called epigenetics. Uh, Have you heard of that? Yes, I have, but I'd love for us to get into it. That's great. Super cool. So it's like the coolest thing ever. So epigenetics is where you can actually turn on or off certain gene expressions um, based on lifestyle factors. And so over 90% of chronic diseases are actually preventable. So we can turn off the gene. So if our, our parents, our grandparents dealt with diabetes or cardiovascular disease or whatever it might have been, yeah. we could turn that gene off based on whatever we're doing with our lifestyle. Cool. Right. So we, we can do that. We have the power. And so if we turn it off before we even have a child, we've already shift, shifted their genetics. And so we hear a lot about how trauma is passed down through uh, our genes and disease is passed down, but so is healing. So is healing. Right. And so I think that's love really it. powerful. So that is why I love what I do every single day. Um, and I'm so passionate about it. And I, I really do think that's my superpower. I am working to heal generations. And, um, and I, I get to, I get to support couples on that journey. And then I support, uh, women throughout their pregnancy and postpartum as well, because unfortunately there's a lot, uh, missing there, especially postpartum. Like we're just completely forgotten. And we're like, Oh, you had a kid now mm-hmm. nobody cares about you. Um, but when you're pregnant, you might get a lot of the, you know, the care, like, Oh, you're pregnant. Like, let me hold the door open for you. Or, you know, all the little things, which are great. But, um, but even then there's a lot of things in our conventional system that is set up against us. And so that is something that I'm also really passionate about shifting and changing. And so that's why I created my holistic pregnancy course, um, to really shift that be like, okay, so there are some medical interventions that are o- not only not not necessary, but they're actually potentially leading to a medical cascade of interventions and side effects that can lead to more harm to the mother sure. and the baby that we don't right? need. Yeah. And that we don't need that. We don't, we just don't need, there are some of course that we do need. Right. And so, you know, just figuring out what is, what is actually necessary and what is not is so confusing and hard. And so that's why I created this course to like break it down. I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. let me help women feel more empowered in, yeah. in their bodies. But then I think the other missing part is when a woman is pregnant, Again, the focus is all on the baby. You know, we're such a baby centric world. I Mm -hmm. love babies. I have a baby. I love them. Like I am a huge fan of babies, but like what I realized and what I realized way back in medical school, way back before I even had my own child was I was like, if we just focused on the mom and her feeling good and her feeling healthy, then the baby will naturally be healthy. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of like a no shit sort of statement. Like the mother is the one carrying the baby. Like, like, right. So if we add stress to her life, if we, you know, if we help her eat better, help her move better for her body, you know, and and like help her with the modifications, if we help these simple little things, we can go so far. And so actually I have a freebie that I offer for um, anyone who just signs up for my email list and it's like essential supplements during pregnancy. And I talk about a lot of things in there. There's like supplements like choline and, um, Choline helps with the baby's neurodevelopment, but also helps prevent gestational diabetes and preeclampsia in the women. Right. And so if a woman has any of these conditions while she's pregnant, that negatively impacts the baby. And so I'm like, if we are helping the woman feel healthy, right? Like, it's just like, we're helping mama, we're helping baby. And so, yeah, so this is what I'm so passionate about. And I don't even remember your question. I just, I feel like- perfect. I have so many ideas. No, 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 this is fantastic. This is something that I'm like, I literally every single day, I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, I want to shift this. I want to support and empower women to feel like, becoming, I mean, just for women in general, like our bodies are so magical, right? I think we also like, I mean, I could keep going on this, but like if our bodies are magical, even if before we 
before we get pregnant, like we go through a menstrual cycle and our hormones are shifting mm -hmm. all the time. And it's honestly, when we learn to embrace that, like, I know, I don't know about you. I don't know if you experienced this, but growing up, like when I got my period, it was like, oh no, you have your period. This sucks. Yep. Like, yeah. it's just the, you know, like, yep. it was like, like welcome right. to the club that you didn't really want to be invited to was like, exactly. And so it was mm -hmm. just like, oh, it sucks being a woman because you have this period every month and you just got to deal with it. And I, I grew up thinking that, you know, sure. And then when I started learning how our bodies work and how amazing this like cycle of hormones affects our mental health and our brain health and, um, our heart health and our bone health and all of these things, like, I, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like we're, our bodies are truly magical. Mm -hmm. And we were just told that it's like, oh, it's just part of being a woman. It sucks, you know? And I'm like, no, it's like when we understand our bodies, we can really start to understand how magical they are. Yeah, totally. There's yeah. so much in there that we can move through, but I, I want to go a little bit in order because I do want to go back first and foremost to what you said about healing but I do want to put this out there too. So that if I say it, I'll remember to come back to it. You would be such a great person to ask about just theories or themes and patterns around infertility, because I am at the age where, you know, it's, I, I had an interesting experience that I'll share in the doctor's office. Just the other day, I was going in for my annual to my OB and I'm really young. I'm 29. However, mm -hmm. there's so much conversation around this, like standard stereotype, whatever you want to call it. That's like, once you're 30, all this stuff starts happening to your body. And then a lot of, yeah. And a lot of people tend to say like, Oh, 32, your eggs are old, which I think is ridiculous, but I hear it often. And I think it's like a cultural norm that people have just kind of accepted. So it was a new doctor. I don't know her. And, um, I was just kind of thinking like, I'm not in a really serious relationship. I have no idea when that would happen for me. And if I decided that I wanted to have children, I don't want to wake up at like 37 and be like, Oh, I should have potentially explored this sooner. So I brought it up to her. I'm like, I don't even know where I would begin with this. However, mm -hmm. I'm just curious about it. Like, what do I need to start thinking about? And she was like, well, I wouldn't even worry about it because you are so young. And it made me feel a lot better that that was her mentality. And I appreciated that because I don't know that a lot of practitioners out there in let's call the more traditional medical sense mm -hmm. would have been so quick to be like, Hey, you're good. Whereas, mm -hmm. because I've had, I've heard stories from other people. Like my mom has told me about her friend's daughters who have been going to the doctor and the doctor's like, you need to get on this right now. And I, then I have friends at the same time. Like I have, um, a former team member of the fitness fix. She had her second child at, she just turned 38. And she had a great, super healthy pregnancy. Mm -hmm. She would argue it was probably a healthier pregnancy than her first one seven years ago. And she had some challenges with actually getting pregnant, but her experience was much better because she focused on herself. She strength trained, she tracked her macros, all the things where she was taking care of herself, like yes. you were just describing. So I definitely kind of want to get into trends and, and maybe common misconceptions around infertility. But before we do that, I want to go back to your statement around healing because I find, and I do have a few clients that I'm currently working with who are really struggling in this department and I feel for them. But the one thing I think a lot of them overlook, and I don't know that it's entirely their fault because I don't think they're having this conversation when they see a doctor, their stress levels. They're not understanding how that is impacting, you know, their lack of sleep, whatever it is, the way that they're exercising, maybe it's too much high intensity for them and their goals and what they're trying to do. So they go through this whole process. They're trying for a year to get pregnant. After that one year, it's classified as infertility. And then the next move is like IVF. Let's explore this. Let's do this test. Let's do all of that. And then all of a sudden they start to feel panicked which I don't know is really helping their cause because I think that's probably making it worse. And like, I really feel for those clients that I do have because I have a few that, you know, they've been working really hard with me and their question is like, well, at what point do I want to start to go down this rabbit hole again? Should I continue to try naturally or should I have the conversation and get another time with my doctor, see if maybe I'll have more success with a route like IVF because I've been taking care of myself. And I appreciate that I'm able to kind of step in and give them that perspective. But like you, I also get a sense of a little bit of frustration because 
because this is a sensitive topic. It's really hard when at our age you're going on Instagram, every other post I see is either a a miscarriage or we're having our miracle baby, like literally every other post to the Mm -hmm. point where I'm like, okay, I don't see anything else on my feed. And Mm -hmm. it's such a spectrum of like emotions, loss, excitement, feeling for other people. So kind of talk me through this idea of healing, trauma, stress, and for the listener out there who may need Mm -hmm. to be thinking about those things, tell us what you tell your patients and coach them through to really focus on. And what kinds of things are you actually seeing when they, they come into your practice? Yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Like you just went through so much of like, what is so real, right? So many people experience this today. I think it's about one in eight couples. Um, Don't quote me exactly, but I think it's about that many uh, couples who struggle with fertility. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, and, and the first thing I want to say is it's not your fault. Okay. It is not your fault. Okay. So please do not put any blame on yourself. The the, everything is stacked against us. Okay. Everything is really stacked against us. And so that goes from everything, like you mentioned, from like our stressors and traumas to the environment around us, the Mm. environmental like toxins that we're exposed to, we're exposed to 25 times more toxins today than they were in 1945, 25 times. I believe it though. Right. And what these toxins do is, so for women, what a lot of these toxins, so something like BPA, we we Mm -hmm. know BPA from plastic, right? What I do want to mention is BPA-free things just have BPS or BPF in it, okay? Those are the same thing as BPA. They do the same exact thing. So you still want to avoid, just, I just say, try to just like, I have like my stainless steel water bottle. Yep, me too. Glass water bottle, focus on that. Um, just try to avoid plastic in general, whether it's BPA free or not, because it has the same effect. And what these, the BPA is considered an endocrine disrupting chemical. So mm-hmm. are things like phthalates, parabens, sulfates. Those are things that we also now hear about. Yeah. Um, in our shampoo, soap, all right? that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Skincare products, all of those things. And so we definitely want to avoid those, but being very mindful of other things, because what these companies often do is, you know, the world, you know, the we, the population realizes that these are bad for us. And so then they remove those products and then add another one, just like the BPA free model. Right. Mm. They're like, okay, there's no BPA in it, but there's BPS and BPF. Right. So I actually never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are things that we, we do just need to be mindful of. And so like, so the reality is like, we're exposed to so many more of those things. Like they used to like 1945, they didn't even have plastic water bottles. Right. Even their Coke bottles and stuff was all glass. Mm -hmm. Right now we never find a glass Coke bottle. I feel, you know what I mean? Not saying to drink Coke, but I'm just saying (laughs) like, it's just not a common thing at all. Um, Or milk, milk, or milk jugs and stuff that was all in glass. And so now we're exposed to so much and BPA, phthalates, sulfates, parabens, all these chemicals are considered endocrine disrupting chemicals. Our endocrine system is our hormonal system. So it literally disrupts our hormonal system. And for women in particular, it increases our inflammatory estrogens. Um, and so we have estrogen, of course, we need that in our body. But we, when we have too much of the inflammatory estrogens, that's what leads to a lot of the PMS symptoms like acne or migraines before your cycle, mood swings. Um, it leads to severe menstrual cramps. And then it can also lead to struggles with fertility. Okay. Um, And so those are things that, you know, we want to address. And for men, it can actually impact their level of testosterone and their sperm quality and count. And today, what would be considered a normal sperm analysis today would have been considered infertile 15 years ago, just 15 years ago. So the standard has changed. Yes. Yeah. And I say to a few of my girls out there, I'm like, I'm glad you brought up the guys because this, this takes two to tango. It and takes I think two. this is changing. I do think this is changing. I'm not going to yes. throw anybody under the bus, but I have had this conversation with a few people recently. It's like, there's so much focus on the fertility side of things, looking at the female specifically. And it's not until I think there's a lot of struggle that the focus even then shifts to consider what might be going on with her partner. 
Right, right. 100%. And that's why I, so my program that I created, my fertility program is literally called It Takes Two. Love because, it. <laughs> because it does that. take two. Oh yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's called, it takes two, the ultimate, uh, it takes two, the ultimate fertility program because I am addressing both partners health from day one. Um, and this is because I have, I have been there before where I was working with patients and I was only working with a female partner and Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm like, okay, can we please get your partner in? Because I'm like, everything's looking good for you. Like, I don't understand there's, you're ovulating well, your hormones look great. You're, you have no symptoms. Like, Hey, process of elimination here, sister. Like we did it for you. So yeah. Yeah. We finally work with their partner and then within months they get pregnant. You know, Amazing. and so now that's why I created this program was because I was like, all right, it's a, it's like a simple six month program and where I work with both partners because I'm like, I don't want to waste anyone's time like this. I like, I, I honestly feel like I did them, these couples a disservice by not forcing that earlier. And so that's why I do that from the beginning because it does, it takes two. And, um, and so I think that's really important. And like you said, the burden of fertility comes onto the woman for the most part in our culture and and just like the burden of birth control right all of all of this entire journey that burden comes fully on the woman and this is why you know at at your age so you are still very young and i think that is also a really big misconception the reality is our ancestors were having kids into their like forties and fifties. Right. And then people say today, it's like people literally say like when somebody's like 42 and had a kid that it's like a miracle or impossible that this happened. And it's like, to me, it actually sounds ass backwards to just be really blunt about it because our technology has sped up at such a drastic rate, especially compared to our biology. And I talk about this a lot with clients to help them understand why fat loss can be really hard. Because if you think about how we're biologically wired around survival, reproduction, responding to stress, but then you think about the fact that we now have grocery stores, our hormones and our receptors in our brain and the way we think about food has not changed from hundreds of years ago when we were like foraging, didn't know where the next meal was going to come from. So we have all these cues in our body of like storing fat to save and actually survive that are essentially not needed now. And I think that's where it gets pretty complex. And I'm sure you have a ton of opinions on that statement, Mm -hmm. but I think it just doesn't make sense because it's like, I couldn't think of a safer time, arguably to be what people classify as a quote unquote older, you know, I hate when I hear like the term, I'm not even going to say the term because I think it's it's so ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah, Like classifying certain aged pregnancies. Right. And that's, and, and that is exactly the issue, right? Like, because we have, um, and whenever I say like, yeah, exactly what you said, our ancestors, um, were, struggling for food, right? They had, they didn't know when their next meal was coming. And so that's why we store, store that as fat in our body as like protection. And, um, and that's actually the same thing with fertility as well. I've seen like usually actually underweight women struggle with fertility issues more than overweight women. And it's because we need fat to protect the baby. Yeah, We need fat. And so um, ideally actually a body of uh, ideal body fat percentage for women is actually about 21 to 25, 26%. And so I want all the ladies to hear that. So say that one more time, because uh, the number of women I work with who see in body scans that are anywhere from 26 to 30 something, and they freak the fuck out. So say that one more time. So everybody can hear it. Ideally our body fat percentage for optimal fertility should be around 21 to 26%. Cool. That is ideal. That and so if you're under that, then we we actually need to increase the fat. Yeah. Um, and if um and so and if you're above that, it's usually actually more okay. Like I said, than being under. Um, but it might affect other things. So like sure. it could increase your risk of cysts and things like that. And so that's okay. what we we want to be mindful of. Okay. Uh, but in general, it's like that. That's it's totally normal. We need more fat in our body. When I was first started my healing journey, I had probably, I I did my body scan then. I think I was like 18% body fat Mm -hmm. and my hormones were a wreck. Like I, nothing, I wasn't ovulating. I wasn't ovulating for years. And let me ask you this question. Were you in medical school or your residency at the time that this was happening? 
I just started medical school. Okay. Um, so how stressed out were you? Right. Right. Exactly. And, and yeah, I, we can totally go back to that point where you're talking about stress. Like, yeah. I think that is a really big piece that so often women forget about. And sometimes those stressors, like I I'm all about managing that stress. Stress isn't going to go away. Right. Like no, we can never get rid life. of stress. Exactly. Yeah, it's, and it's, it's actually good for us too. Like yes. people need to understand there's a tipping point. It's not the, la- we don't, we're not chasing this like ridiculous Zen because there's an issue with low cortisol levels and everyone wants to be like, Oh, high cortisol, like run. That's the problem. You actually need that for survival as well. Like if you were in the forest running from a bear and your yeah. cortisol and adrenaline didn't kick in, you'd have a real problem. That's not going to end the way you want it to. Yeah, and it's just it. those, there's this difference between the chronic stress versus these you know, short, minute, like acute states of stress yes. that we do want to put the body under to teach it how to be adaptable. So exactly. important clarification, like exercise, right? Yeah. Like working out, like that is a yep. good stressor. We mm-hmm. need that. But of course, and you already mentioned this, like maybe too much exercise can mm-hmm. also be problematic, right? Sure. Like you're overdoing the cardio, overdoing things. Um, that could also be an additional stressor. Like it's finding where, yeah. where you are. Sure. And there are some of my patients who are like, really, really low cortisol. They're super burnt out. And I'm like, let's like avoid the hit mm-hmm. <laughs> most days I've been there. and focus on yeah. walking. And then we can move up. I was one of those people too. And now I do my hit workouts. I do everything now. I and don't you probably really... feel better doing them. Like that's, this yeah. is somewhat of a tangent around like, you know, fertility in particular, but I have a lot of our clients inside the fitness fix program or potential clients are group fitness lovers. And that's all they know. That's what they're comfortable with. It makes them feel safe. They feel like they don't know what to do in the gym, but the number of them that are eating such little food specific to that type of workout, they come to me looking for change. They come to me because they're frustrated with their physique, but what they actually get is a byproduct is having way more energy so that when they eventually do decide to go back to that type of training program with adequate nourishment, they feel so much better. Like I went through a three-year period where I stopped working out that way. And previous to that, it was the only way that I exercised. And I used to think that like, I had to feel dead at the end of every workout. And that was like a sign of like success and like more benefit and results. And then I stepped away from it. I really focused more on strength training, keeping things calm, stress management, tons of walking, getting better sleep, all that sort of stuff. And it's always a work in progress, but when I finally like went back into that environment and it's just something I do purely for fun, like twice a month, I actually love it. Cause I don't feel like I'm dying the entire time. Yes. Yes. Exactly. So underrated. Who and knew? you feel so good afterwards. Yeah. And like, and if you don't feel good after that, that it probably wasn't right for you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like that is actually, and that's exactly listening to your body, right? Like your yeah. body tells you when you don't feel good. And, and if you don't feel good, then then listen, you got to listen to that. Uh, because what it's when we ignore those cues that more problems start to occur. So yes, absolutely. Like, and the, the exercise and the stress is so deeply connected, but yeah. Um, I don't remember what else we were talking about, but I think that's so, so important. I love, I love all the tangents. (laughs) Yeah, no, I appreciate it. And I want it. That's totally cool. We can kind of pivot a little bit, but you mentioned one other thing just around, um, like having enough fat on your body and that sort of thing. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but I have a theory around this. So I think often I see a lot of patterns of just a client's like general macronutrient intake before they start working with us. So inside of the fitness fix program, something that we do in the first 10 days of somebody joining our team is we actually don't give them any protocols. We just ask them to eat how they're currently eating, but put some more self-awareness around it. So actually start logging it. Mm-hmm. And I have this yeah. theory. I, I would love to study this because I think it'd be really interesting and I'm making a total hypothesis here but I find it very interesting. And I'm going to fast forward into like menopausal years as well. I find it really interesting that the women who are either of age of considering having children grew up in the nineties or women who are now entering their menopausal years or their supposed menopausal years. Cause I know there's a big range. Yeah. The diet trends of the nineties centered on low to no fat. So I have this thought process that if we studied like these groups of women, I would make this correlation that is there a possibility 
that because it was very normal to go low fat cheese, low fat dairy, low fat this, blah, 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 that I feel like those women got so conditioned to not have enough fat content in their diets that now we're seeing the long-term side effect, which for my population of clientele, I see it more specifically with women in their forties and fifties. And they're going into, they're going to perimenopause and their mothers didn't like their, I always ask, did your mom go into menopause early? Because there, you talked about epigenetics and stuff. There's definitely something going on there for sure. Like that pattern. But I just really would love to, to look at that because it's just something I I've had enough clients that I feel like I can make this correlation and notice this like widespread pattern. And it's because these women will track their food for a week and granted, they go out to dinner, they freaking blow the fat macro content completely out of the water. Like, I want to be real about that. But on average, when they think they're being quote unquote good Monday through Friday, they're clocking in at like 45 to maybe 50 grams of fat. And I'm like, I don't even put clients there if they're in a calorie deficit and you're doing this on a daily basis. Like, what has been the potential long term side effect for that? And I know you were specifically talking about like the amount of fat tissue on your body, but I want to be clear when it comes to our hormones being optimized, fat is like a car. Like it literally like those fat that it binds to your hormones. It helps all the signals that need a fire from the brain to the rest of the body, to your different organs, your thyroid, all those things. So I just have to wonder if like there's something that happened along the way because these low fat fads just started getting pushed as such big trends. And I'd be curious just to bring you into this how do you talk to your patients about their nutrition specifically? And is that something you've seen yourself? Yes. Oh my God. I'm like, woo, all of that, all of that, because yes, healthy fats are something that I'm constantly preaching. And, and yes, absolutely. I would say, I I won't say all, um, but just because I can't, uh, but I would say probably most of my patients, um, are under eating, like whenever they come see me, they are just not eating enough food, definitely not getting enough healthy fats and fat stabilizes your blood sugar, which also support. And like you said, it's a part of what supports your hormones to do its job and get to where it needs to. And if we don't have enough fat or protein, protein is one of the building blocks for our hormones. We don't have enough of that, which I feel like like protein was always never demonized like fat was. Um, but that can impact our hormones. And so that can impact our ability to conceive, our uh, likelihood to reach menopause sooner, all of those things. And um, the reality is that we need those fats for for everything in our body. And what I, I mean, I think that's a really fascinating theory because I, and I think it makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, I don't know for sure, but um, we need to study it, girl. Nobody's yeah, going to yeah. pay for that study, unfortunately, no. if we're being real. But I feel like there's not. a lot to it. I'm just going to keep no. working with that theory. Totally. And no, and I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the other side of it is also that um, with a lot of the 90s, 2000s culture, it was a lot of yo yo dieting, right? Like every that was, and I mean, some people still do that to this day because that was what they were. that was ingrained in their mind. My mom is one of those people who is constantly, and I'm like, mom, just eat food. I'm like, like, mom, like, and she's like, no, I'm trying to lose weight or whatever. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to, I'm like, but that's not helping you lose weight. My mom also is not active at all. And I'm like, well, why don't we do that also? Mm -hmm. I'm like, go on a walk, mom. You know, so that's a whole different story. But I I think it's affected so many women's metabolism. And so the women that I work with, um, generally in their 20s, 30s, and um, early 40s, mostly, I would say on average, they are, a lot of their metabolism has been affected as well, um, because of all this constant back and forth. And so and so then that's going to make it harder for fat loss as well. Totally. It's going to make it harder for weight loss or fat loss. And so So I think that's, I think all of those things are very deeply connected. Yeah. And I just, you know, I think the more that we can encourage people and and that's why I really like the work that you're doing, because even in the time we've been sitting here, I've been taking some notes to ask you the next question, but also just to think about the clients that I do have that are really kind of in this limbo of like, I'm doing the things, something's disconnected, what's not working. I appreciate having connections and a network to somebody like yourself because uh, let's go there. Like 
a lot of the times when I have a client that I'm sending to a traditional practitioner, it turns into an argument and it turns into an argument. And this is not even for clients out there who are struggling Mm -hmm. with fertility or looking to get pregnant. This Mm -hmm. is for a client going to their GP, going to their OB, going to whoever they, they plan to go to. And I send them a list of blood work that I want them to go into the doctor's office, ask for X, Y, and Z. And it always turns into, we don't need to test this. You don't have to test that. And it's like, no, a nutritionist asked for this information to be tested. You as the individual should feel empowered to be in control of your health if you want that information. And it's just this uphill battle that I'm honestly kind of tired of dealing with, but I'm excited by the prospects of somebody like yourself. But also, you know, I've had other people on this show. There's uh, two guests that I've had in the last six months they have these really fascinating companies that are all app-based much like what you're building mm-hmm. and they actually do in-home blood work. So a phlebotomist will legitimately come to your house or your office, wherever it's convenient for you. Mm -hmm. And one of the companies it's called life force. It's super cool. I just had them on the show and I'm actually going to do the service myself so I can experience it, but it's fantastic because their whole concept is for the price of a boutique gym membership, 130 bucks a month, which is honestly cheaper than a boutique gym membership. They should have made it higher. (laughs) Then you are able to get that kind of healthcare in your pocket with a holistic approach, with a health coach, similar to the type of services that I provide and somebody to look at your labs, go over different supplement processes and like options and protocols and, and even potentially exploring hormone therapies, all of it. I think that's amazing because it shows such a shift and like with technology, there's such a possibility for this, but I really want to know from you as somebody who went to med school, at what point did you choose the path that you did? And at what point, like how did that happen for you? Like, give us a little bit more on your story because I would imagine, and maybe I'm totally wrong here, but I would think that when you initially went into med school, did you want to be in a hospital? What kind of medicine did you want to practice? Did you Mm -hmm. see this naturopathic path for yourself? How did that transpire? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm going to piggyback off of your labs. Yeah, the conversation on labs real quick, just because I do a lot of functional lab testing. I'm sure you do. A lot of like the hormone testing that I do is, have you heard of the Dutch test? Yeah, I've done it myself twice. Amazing. So yeah, that's always something that I do for all my patients, especially on their fertility journey, but really like any woman. It's great. I learned so much about myself from doing it, but I learned so much more about my sex hormones specifically because what I always try to remind people to understand about regular blood work too, is like, it's just a snapshot of this one second on this one day. And if we can really see how you metabolize things, it can definitely open us up, open us up to figuring out, like, do you have a methylating issue? Like, is there something else that's going on? Like that happened to me. I had, and I've shared this here on this podcast before. At one point I went through a pretty serious bout of depression and I had such bad insomnia that my testosterone levels were so low. But the Mm -hmm. challenge that I faced, Tanisha, was the insomnia obviously fueled the low levels. And until I got over the insomnia, it was one of those things where it was like, if you don't make this lifestyle change, how is the Mm -hmm. testosterone going to come back up? But it's like this cycle that you can't get off of. And if I had not done that Dutch test, I wouldn't have seen that because I didn't really Mm -hmm. understand that. And honestly, whenever I've gotten to the doctor at my age, in my 20s, nobody was testing my testosterone. Right. Yeah. And it's, and it's so real. And that's the thing. And like, like you mentioned, like the Dutch test tells if there's a methylation issue and you dealt with the depression. And actually, if you have a methylation issue and most antidepressant antidepressants will make things significantly worse. Yeah. So, um, so you don't even want to go that path, but like, what can you do then? Right. How do you Mm -hmm. support yourself? And so working with someone who understands how the Dutch test works and then the Dutch test, I appreciate will tell you, um, like, cause if you test your estrogen in your blood, yeah. it will, um, it, it just gives you a number, right. right. But when you and test then it, it in gives the you test, all those silly, like not silly, but it's really hard. Even for me, when I get my clients to give me those results from their, their blood panels for like estrogen, estradiol, if mm-hmm. I don't know exactly where they are in their cycle, it means right. nothing. Whereas with the Dutch test, they ask you to take it at a specific time in your cycle so that we can get a little bit better of a read and handle on that too. Yes. Yeah. And it's crazy how many patients I've had who like gone through fertility clinics and all that Uh stuff. And the only lab they tested was AMH. Um, mm. and they never tested for progesterone even and progesterone deficiency. That's crazy. One of the leading causes of infertility and 
increases risk of miscarriage. One of the leading causes of miscarriage. And it makes perfect sense. Like, I don't, you don't even need to know a whole lot about the female hormones to understand that if we're not looking at both estrogen and progesterone and progestin together, we're missing like a really big picture, like a huge, huge. we're missing 50% of the story. Yeah. When, when you get pregnant, you release so much progesterone to keep the baby Mm -hmm. alive. And if you Uh, don't have enough progesterone, that can increase your risk of a miscarriage. And so testing that before and making sure. So that's why I always have, like, I have a six month package or six month program because I'm like, we're not going to do this before you are ready. Right. Right. Because if you do this before, then it can increase risk. And I've, I've had, again, this is also like, I've, I've had patients who got pregnant for the first time after years, but then ended up miscarrying because they weren't ready yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Because they, their, her progesterone was probably still too low. The other big leading cause of um, miscarriage, just side note, yeah. is actually poor sperm quality. And that's also why. Why we need to pay attention to the guys. Yeah. Genetic yeah. abnormalities in baby, like um, like disabled, um, or when, when babies are born with disabilities and things uh-huh. like that, also increase risk with poor sperm quality. So mm. this is why it's really, really important. Um, and that's why I'm like, it starts with an egg and a sperm. Yeah. Okay. But anyway, my story, going back to that, um, yeah, please. we should definitely, like I said, I feel like we could talk for literally. Hours. We should have you come back on. I was going to say, when you started talking about progesterone, my brain immediately went to the conversation around birth control. So I think we should have you back on the show to do an episode just on that because it's yeah. such a good topic. So oh, we'll make I love that talking happen. about birth control. So we'll, yeah. Well, yeah, we could definitely do that. Cool. Um, but my story is, so it's twofold. Okay. okay. So I um, actually got my degree in pharmaceutical sciences. Ironically. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yes. Um, so I, I went to the Ohio State University, got my nice. degree in pharmaceutical sciences. And while I was there, I was learning about medications and then um, for certain issues. Um, but mm-hmm. then I learned about the side effects of those medications and then mm-hmm. the medications needed for those side effects. And then got it. the side effects. Were you those, planning on med- being a pharmacist originally? I was planning, I was pre-med. I was planning on going to conventional medical okay. school, um, okay. but I just didn't like biology as much. I liked biochemistry more. Cool. I'm literally the opposite of everyone else. I love biochemistry. My brother's girlfriend's uh, a pharmacist. So that's why I ask. And she, she yeah. pursued a more ra- rather than like the commercial route of being in a pharmacy. She's in the hospital setting. So she's actually still in her residency right now because she's in the cardiology world. So she had to do a longer residency. Mm-hmm. And I never knew a, a whole lot about that world and how it works and stuff, but it's always really interesting to talk with her about medications and like her ability to list off some of the side effects, like how fast she knows it. I'm like, yes. this is so interesting. And sometimes I like want to ask her opinion because we're on definitely different sides of the spectrum of like usage of medication versus like trying natural approaches. So it's more of like, I want to ask her this question to have a little debate and like see where she lands. There's a time and a place, right? There's a time and a place for everything. There are certain people, like if you're in the emergency room that like, if you got to that point, you probably- She's seeing people at their, unfortunately, like the worst state of their health. Yeah. Like it's at the end stage. And so like- But it's so interesting. Like it's so, it's so fascinating. So, okay. So keep going for us. Like you, you went, you went that route because you were interested in biochem and then what happened? Yeah. So I learned about that vicious cycle and I was like, that does not make sense. I was like, I don't want to be a person. Yeah. I was like, I don't want to be a person who's on a bunch of medications and, um, I don't think other people should have to either. I was like, there's gotta be another way. And, and I, I did appreciate my professor. Uh, one of my professors, she was amazing. She was my favorite professor. She would, she talked about the, um, the corruption within the pharmaceutical industry. She taught wow. us about that, which wow. was really amazing. Yeah. And so That's she taught cool. us how, yeah, it was really, really cool to learn that from a pharmaceutical science professor, right? Like she's like, she's like, there's a lot because she has really good intentions. You know, she isn't trying to just like make money, make money off of this industry, right? right. She just wants people to get better. Educate. And, and that's yeah. and that's the case, I think, for most pharmacists, most conventional doctors. They genuinely want people to feel better. They don't always get the the knowledge of how to do it. Yeah. yeah. They don't necessarily get the same knowledge or uh, understanding of like what other things they could do outside of medications. Sure. But but yeah, she talked about the corruption and she talked about how um, research, it used to take, it was like 11, 12 years of a minimum research study. And then it went down to seven. And I think now it's five. Um, I think you're right. 
I, because yeah, this was a big conversation pushed. with vaccinations. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. And vaccines can be even faster. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, it's, it's really interesting. And so she talked about how she's like, it's like, it's just to make money because the reality is without at least 12, 11 or 12 years of research, we don't know long-term side effects. Wow. Right? That's scary. Um, right. Exactly. And so when people say, and there's, and I have a lot of thoughts on there's a new postpartum drug on the market now, and mm. it was barely researched wow. and not even research on nursing women. So like, if you're nursing, you can't take it anyway. So it's a whole thing. Um, but I'm like that, that was the industry. And I was like, ah, there's gotta be another way. And I had the opportunity to travel to Guatemala actually. And cool. I did a, like, it was like a global health organization that I was a part of. And I went there, I learned about their traditional medicines. I learned about organic farming. I learned about Mayan healing traditions. And I was like, whoa, all of this stuff is so cool. And I got, I went straight into it. I was like, this is amazing. And I was like, I want to learn more about this. Right. And cause I, I had a Mayan, Mayan healing session with like the Mayan healer and I felt better. And oh then I God. had someone go through my chakras and, yeah. uh, and literally she told me in that time, she was like, she's like, there's something off with your throat chakra. You can't ever be dishonest because it's I going was going to gonna say that usually means you're not speaking your truth. Yes. She was like, she was like, you are, you need to figure out what your truth is. Right. Because mm. when you lie, to yourself or others, that's impacting your throat. And she was like, she's like, I feel like you have something going on with your thyroid. It wasn't until a few years later when I started naturopathic medical school and saw a naturopathic doctor and she felt my thyroid, did my thyroid test and was like, you have Hashimoto's hypothyroidism, right? Like, and I was like, okay, I'm like crazy. And so anyway, so I got deep into this medicine. I was like, I want to learn more about this. And then I remembered, which this sounds so silly when I say it now, but I remembered I'm Indian (laughs) and India has a very powerful ancient medicine. Ayurvedic medicine. And I grew up with it. I literally grew up with like your mom and dad's approach. Yeah, exactly. Like golden milk, you know, has become really popular turmeric lattes. We grew Mm -hmm. up with it. And I always tell people it tasted terrible. (laughs) (laughs) They put so much turmeric and no honey. Yep. (laughs) No honey, no sweetener. And none of us wanted it. But anytime we were sick, we had to drink this and it worked. It worked so well. And so there were so many little remedies like that in Mm. ashwagandha. Yeah. I I love ashwagandha that helped my cortisol levels tremendously. I take it every day. It's, and I'm like, it it helped with anxiety. Like it just helped me so much. Yes. I swear. I I love ashwagandha. And that is so, it's so interesting because I didn't learn about it till med school. Um, so I started med school like 10 years ago now. Um, I, I didn't learn about it till then. And I told my mom about it and she was like, oh yeah, like a horse. I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, that means like energy of a horse. I was like, whoa. Oh. And she, I was, so she like knew, you know, she knows these things that, and so then I decided after undergrad, I wanted to take a year off. I took the MCAT. I was applied for medical school, did all the things, but I was like, I'm not ready to go to conventional medical school. I don't know if it feels right for me. Okay. And so then I wow. took a year off, went to India, worked for a nonprofit there, learned more about cool. Ayurveda and came back. And I was like, I conventional medical school just doesn't feel right. And so I ended up just talking to, I was working like part-time at lens crafters. Um, and my, uh, there, there was an optometrist there and I talked to her about it and I was like, Hey, like, this is what I'm feeling. Cause she's like, Oh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right anymore. I really want to explore. Like I want to use nutrition and movement and herbal medicine and yeah. whatever else is out there that I still okay. don't know about, you know? Cool. And she was like, have you heard of naturopathic medicine? And I was like, no, what's that? And so she told me, and, and cause she was from Seattle. And so she had a naturopathic doctor when she was there and over there it's covered under insurance and everything not in most states. Um, okay. And so she, she was like, have you heard of that? And I was like, no. And then I looked into it. I saw it. I was like, oh my God, this is it. And then I applied, went straight there. Um, and then while I was there, I realized that my issues with constipation, abnormal periods, joint pain, uh, brain fog, 
concentration issues, uh, asthma, allergies, I realized that actually all of that was not normal <laughs> because that's what the naturopathic doctor finally told me. They're like, you know, it's not normal to have a bowel movement like once a week, right? And I'm like, oh, really? Because I've been dealing with it my entire life and every doctor is just like, maybe it's your normal. I skip my period every few months and my doctors are like, maybe it's just your normal because you're athletic. And I'm like, I'm not an Olympic athlete. Like I'm no, you're not training enough for first of all, you're not training enough for that to even like really add up. But even then it's not ideal for those individuals either. Like exactly. We can get into like, the whole bodybuilding conversation around that one too. Right. Exactly. Oh, I have a lot of bodybuilder patients um, who I, I'm sure I you do because of their gut and hormones. Yep. Um, but yes, like that is exactly it. I'm like, I, you know, it didn't make sense. And so finally I discovered that. And then with the help of naturopathic medicine, I was able to really heal myself. And now wow. I'm so grateful that I don't really experience any of those symptoms anymore. Um, and I finally was able to experience optimal health and understood cool. what that meant. And that's why I created my practice. My practice is called Mahan Health. Mahan in Sanskrit translates to great or the absolute best. Cool. And I love that. Yeah. And so that's why I was like, wow, I could experience great health. I finally was able to experience that. And so I'm so passionate now about helping others experience the same. And that's why now I created my membership program. So my yeah. practice is my one-on-one. -on -one. I have another doctor in the practice. She specializes in gut health and autoimmune cool. conditions. Um, and, but now I created my membership program and you saw my app. Um, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I'm really excited about it because it just makes it more accessible to get, like, if you have a UTI, if you have constipation, if you have a stomach bug, like I put all the protocols on there. So everything that I would generally recommend, it's all on there. Sweet. And yeah, it's, it's so amazing. So like everything that I would normally recommend. And then like beyond that, if you're still having issues, then you could obviously find a, a provider or something like that, but it's like a great starting point. For amazing. Pretty much everything. I have PMS, PCOS, literally all the things on there. I love that. That's fantastic. I, and I didn't know that part about your story because I didn't ask you when we first met in Dallas, how you actually got into medicine. So I wanted to make sure we touched on that today. Cause I knew you had gone through your own personal journey, but I was kind of curious what that timeline looked like for you. And was it potentially a, I'm in med school, I'm burnt out sort of situation, because I know that happens to a lot of people at that time as well, but that's fantastic. And I really appreciate that you put so many, you know, you had all those strings kind of tie back together to be like, wait a second, like, this is in my genetics. This is in my upbringing. This is in how I was raised like, and, and then going for it and going from Guatemala all the way to India and being like, let me just open myself up to these possibilities. I appreciate that. And it also just speaks volumes to the other conversations we had when we met that I'm like, okay, now this is all clicking for me too. And I, I appreciate it. And you know, I actually, the more we're sitting here talking, I would love to invite you to, we should totally have a, a call where you join all of our one-on-one -on -one clients. We do a weekly zoom every Tuesday night. And I think that a lot of them, maybe even if your other doctor would be interested too, because they all have so many questions around these topics. And I think it'd be cool for them to kind of hear that from you and stuff. So we will take that offline, but I definitely want to set that up for sure, because I think yes, it'd be a lot of fun. Sure, yeah. Sure. And I appreciate all the value that you've just added to this conversation oh, today. I want to be respectful of your time because we have gone a little bit over and I know you're yes. a busy lady. You got patients to take care of and a child too. So yeah. I'm going to wrap us up here, but definitely we got to have you back on so we can talk birth control. I definitely want to make sure that we you'll, we'll put everything in the show notes. Cause you've mentioned your freebie. We've mentioned your app. We've talked about your membership program. So clearly if you guys haven't gotten a sense of it already, there's tons of resources that Hanisha makes available. And I think you also made a great point around that. This is not just for fertility too. And bringing up some of those other things, like everything from having a cold or stomach bug to PMS. So this is something that's totally affected by everybody widespread and can be applicable to just about anyone who is on some sort of health journey. So you're amazing. I'm really excited to just continue to follow your work and, and get you as a partner of the fitness fix and really kind of see how we could collaborate in a lot of different ways beyond this podcast. So I appreciate that. And thank you for sharing all that. I didn't mention this to you though. I am. You're welcome. I am going to end the episode with a little lightning round. I did this on purpose. I don't okay. like need to prepare for the lightning round. It's supposed <laughs> to be fun. So I'm just going to ask you a bunch of random questions. They're like quick rapid fire sort of things. And they're supposed to be just lighthearted to wrap it up. Okay, cool. Okay. Let's ready? go. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's go. If you can only eat one food for the rest of your life, just one every meal, every day, what's it going to be? 
pizza. Nice. Love it. Well, you're an Ohio girl. So let me ask as a follow-up, are you deep dish or do you go for the traditional New York pizza? I actually prefer deep dish, but I'm gluten-free. So I do cauliflower pizza all the time. Okay. All right. That's fine. You know, I've never been to Chicago, so I can't really say that I've had like the true deep dish experience, but I just don't really get it. I got to come out there. I got to definitely make my way to Ohio first, but still. Yeah. It's where you grew up. Like I feel for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It totally is. It would be yeah, like we, a sin. we went to Chicago all the time. Growing right. Up it would be so like a like sin it. for either one of us to say the opposite because of where yeah. we're from, you know? Yeah. So exactly. I'm with it. <laughs> cool. All right. Let's go the opposite end of the spectrum. What is your least favorite food? Broccoli. Oh, okay. Very random. <laughs> no, actually, no, it's not broccoli. No, no, just kidding. I actually like broccoli a little bit more now. It's potatoes. Potatoes. You don't like potatoes? Hanisha. Yeah. I, I remember we talked about it. You were like, these fries are so good. And I was like, I don't know. Oh, really. wait, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. You were like, I'm not a big potato girl. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. I like sweet potatoes, but not like. Okay. All right. Potatoes. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I'm not going to, no judgment. I asked the question. This was just supposed to be learning more about Hanisha. We are. Yeah. Cool. Let's go workout routine. What is your go-to exercise? I know you mentioned you like to do some HIIT training these days. But if Hanisha's in the gym, what's she doing? Oh, um, I love variety. Honestly, okay. I'm like the type of person I do hit. I do Legree bar cool. yoga. Like nice. I'm actually doing my yoga teacher training right now. So. Amazing. I was going to ask uh, you if you were into yoga at all. Felt yeah. like it really needed to be a part of this whole picture here. I know. Yeah. That's what I'm just yeah. completing the whole like persona. With Congrats. Yoga. No, that's yeah. awesome. Cause it's a, it's not an easy cert. So mad respect for everybody who does yeah. complete it. It's a lot of hours. So good for you. That's awesome. Yes. What is, um, a book that's on your nightstand recently, or like a book that you would recommend that every listener, li- uh, grab a copy of. That's good. Well, right now is actually be seen, um, cool. by Jen we just Dolly. got our copies of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we just, we just got all that. I haven't really started reading it, but I know she has a lot of amazing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Oh, the book that I would say the four agreements. The oh, four that's agreements. a good one. Four agreements. Have you, yes. Have you read that one? Yes. And you're actually yes. the second podcaster. This was a long time ago, but I had, um, one of the guys from, do you remember that show fit to fat to fit? No. I'll send it to you. So he recommended the book too. And he said it was like one of the best books he ever read. So that's yeah, cool. It's so good. It's, I mean, I, I feel like if you read any book, like that's, that's the one. And it's such an easy read. Yes. Like so easy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Podcasts. Do you like to listen to podcasts? If you don't, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I'm coming back to podcasts. Like cool. I used to listen to them so much that I feel like I got burnt out from them. Sure. Uh, but I'm coming back to them and I'm actually um, trying to bring my podcast back to life as well. Amazing. It's called Mahan Health with Dr. Anisha. Cool. Um, so I'm bringing that back. Uh, but I have, I'm trying to think of which ones lately. I definitely need to listen to yours more. I um, love that. So, uh, and I love, honestly, I do, I do want to mention that I do, I do love everything that you're doing. Like, I feel Thank like you. you are, um, you, you stand out for sure. I appreciate from, like, that. Thank a you lot so of much. Fitness coaches and things like that. And so I really do appreciate like how above and beyond you go for your clients. Like it's, Thank it's you. commendable. So, so I definitely want to listen to your podcast more, but I think, um, the main one, honestly, that I, I, I feel like I listen to most often is Gary Vee's or Tim Ferriss. Um, great ones. Can't go wrong with those guys. They're like, they're like the classics and, um, the goats I feel, you know, so true. They really Um, are. So, so so I feel like I mostly listen to those, but I, there are some other ones there's, Oh, birth stories and color is one I've been listening to, Oh, cool. um, which is really fascinating. So if you're a mom, like, or about to become a mom, they have a lot of amazing stories there. Um, and Oh, and then Dr. Mom's podcast, uh, it's, uh, or med school for moms is what it's called. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely link those in the show notes too for other resources for people. Yeah. Yeah. Med school for mom. She's actually a colleague of mine and she's amazing. She does uh, naturopathic pediatrics. And so she teaches you all the things for your kids. Oh, awesome. So she's like the next step in the journey. Exactly. So I'm like, I focus on the mom and stuff. And it's like, all right, what do you do for your kids? Nice. I love that. That's awesome. All right. I got two final questions for you. These can be a little longer. So if somebody gets to the end of this episode, we covered a whole lot of ground. We know we're going to cover more in 
the near future. But if they could only take away one thing, what's the overarching message that you want somebody to leave this recording with? You have the power. You have the power to to make decisions for your body and you can advocate for yourself no matter what. So I just want you to remember that you have the power and your body is magic. Beautiful. I love it. And last but not least, tell everybody, we mentioned a few of the the offers that you do have, but if somebody wants to find them, where are you on social media? Where can we check out your website? All that stuff that we will drop in the show notes too. For sure. So the main place I'm really active in terms of social media is Instagram. Um, But my membership is somewhere where I'm going a little bit deeper with everyone. Um, We do live Q and A's once a month, but then there's a community forum in it too. So you could literally ask me anytime. Um, But we also have three other doctors in there who can, who are there to answer your questions. So, um, so yeah, it's a great place to get additional support, but Instagram on social media, I'm literally always posting on Instagram. I'm also on TikTok and Facebook and Twitter and threads and all the things Sweet. all hol- holistic Hanisha on YouTube, everything holistic Hanisha. Um, but I'm definitely Instagram is my like home. Perfect. Home well, we will see you there. Cause I'm the same. And then of course, when this episode goes live, we're going to tag you and everything too. So all the listeners, it'll be easy for them to follow you, but Hanisha, thank you again. Thank you so much for your knowledge, for your time today. This was so much fun. We totally could talk for hours and hours. We're going to make this happen for episode round two for sure. And I'm excited for you to bring your podcast back to life so that I can drop it in my client community chats and all that sort of stuff, because I'm always looking for ways to educate them on other things that I need to learn more about. And I'm just so grateful to podcast because everything you taught me in the last hour, I wouldn't have had this conversation otherwise. And it's just one of the coolest aspects of podcasting that I don't know that people really appreciate unless they're doing it and doing it for a long time. So thank you for that. And for all the listeners out there, you guys know the drill, but we got to say it at the end of every episode. If you benefited from this in some way, or maybe you're not in the stage of life where you're necessarily concerned about fertility, pregnancy, that sort of stuff. Based on the stats we shared, I guarantee you know someone who may be, and this could be the episode for them that really gives them a potential opportunity for hope and another path to pursue. But again, we also shared towards the end of this conversation, just around a lot of Anisha's other resources that have more to do with a lot of everyday things. So there's something in this for everybody. Leave us a review because that also helps with sharing the show and getting it referred to more people, suggested listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on all these platforms out there. So you're doing us a favor when you take literally 10 seconds to hit the review button. The hardest part for people half the time is they don't know where it is. So if you scroll down to the very bottom of this episode or go to the show and scroll down to the bottom, it's there. And with that, from wherever you guys are listening from, we hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Anisha.